Welcome to Women in Electronics, the only show that empowers, develops, advocates, and celebrates the accomplishments and advancement of women in the electronics industry. With your host, Jackie Maddox. Well, hello, and here we are again with our leader in Highlight Radio program. Uh, Women in Electronics is a nonprofit organization set up for the talent development of women, and we have one of our uh, sponsors, our partners with us today, uh, TTI, again, um, Don Acri. Don, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, real quick, I'll just turn it over to you to introduce yourself. Uh, Jackie, thank, thanks for having me on. Appreciate uh, taking a little bit of time uh, to learn a little more about TTI and the, the people behind it. My background, I am president of TTI, the America's Operations, and I sit on the, the corporate staff as a, a senior VP. Help with the strategy a little bit uh, across the family of companies. Great. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule, Don. I know you have so much going on right now, so really it's a true honor to have you um, on our program today. Um, so I wanted to just dive in and ask you, and, I, and I've asked a lot of leaders, but I'm so intrigued by this, um, you know, how you got your start in the industry, what led you to where you are today? Did you expect when you started your career journey that you would be sitting here today as president of TTI? Oh, absolutely not. I've been in the business since uh, 1984. I'd come out of college was in another job and met people in this industry that kept talking about it being this fast pace, this electronic component, all the companies that were designing these things. And they worked on me for a couple of years. It was an urging to get into the business. And eventually I did make that move and told you before it was a, a cut and pay actually for me. Hmm. I had worked uh, running a supermarket wow. when I was in high school and through college. And they paid very well back then. Had to take a little bit of a cut and pay to come in as a inside salesperson in the industry. Worked for a company, Pioneer, that is no longer around. It was actually acquired by one of the, the larger publicly held companies. But we, you know, worked uh, inside, built sales, then sales management, general management, regional management, and then ended up in in higher level role. Can we just backtrack one second? Because you said something that you took a cut in pay. If you look at it now, that was kind of a, a critical decision-making moment in your career. So it's like you could have gone one way or another. You came into this industry, you took a cut in pay. What motivated you to come into an industry you didn't know and take a pay reduction? You know, I, I look back on that and, and, and at the time, it didn't seem like it was that big of a decision, but it you know, I looked at it that the career path learned enough about the industry and this you know group of products and the, the exposure to the different companies. You know, I'll say I was mature enough, even though I didn't know I was mature back then, in order to make that that move. And it's worked out okay for me. You know, and somebody I think I was 23, 24 years old at the time, never really thought about it. Hey, look, I'm I'm going taking another job and I'm actually taking a step backwards. The pay worked out okay. I, I, <laughs> I did okay. I make I make more today than I did then. Oh well, that is very good to hear, and um, obviously you've earned it too. So I think it's a good message for people listening, though. That to me, I look at something like that, and like you said, it's maturity. But it was a it was a good decision, and you were willing to work hard, and you were willing to make less. And I think it's a message a lot of people need to hear is that that hard work and determination and sometimes you're just you're not expecting something just to get handed to you 
you were really willing to work for it and you did. Um, and along the way, can you just tell me, I'm sure there's people that influenced your career. I mean, obviously you probably met some great people along the way. So can you just describe that a little bit? Yeah, if you go back to it, uh, this this industry back in the 80s and 90s, uh, I'll say it was starved for talent. So, you know, I had the opportunity to, to probably get exposed to things faster than in some parts of, of the industry today. You know, so there were people that uh, noticed that I was willing to, to, to put the time and the effort and the efforts in order to learn something new. I had no technical background, uh, so I had to uh, understand the electronics industry, understand the components, especially from a sales perspective. You know, you had to understand some of the technology in order to be able to go sit down with engineers. I'll start, you know, even further back. My father's big influence on me, the ability, the work ethic, uh, mm-hmm. I would look back. My father's still around today at almost 85 years old, and he would be working today if we would let him. But, you know, he, he instilled that in all of us, you know, to get up in the morning and go to work and, you know, and, and put in an honest day's work, I think, the way he would he would put it in you know i think over time you end up learning that it's working hard it's be, being willing to do what needs to be done mm. but it's also learning to, to set the priorities i look at it that in this industry there's quite a few people you know throughout my career that obviously saw something and they, they became mentors for me you know i look back uh vinnie velucci's a name that uh, i'll throw in there that was a mentor for me that was in the industry for many many years uh and they saw something and they were willing to invest in me and that's a lesson that, you know, any good leader can take today. If you've got people that are willing to, to do what it takes in order to be successful, it's pretty easy to be a mentor for those people and to work with them and make sure that they get the opportunity. Well, I think it's a good point, too, because you can be given an opportunity, but nobody can do it for you. So there were people along the way that helped to open some doors but you had to walk through the doors and you had to put in the hard work and the effort and really prove yourself over and over and over. So that's very commendable, Don. And I think it's something that a lot of our upcoming leaders, it's just a good message for them. And I think prior we had talked and you had said, if you're willing to work hard, you're going to succeed. And what you talked about is those traditional values of your father um, saying, put in an honest days of work. There's pride in that when you know at the end of the day you worked so hard. And and to me, I, I find that very endearing because I, I feel like those are great qualities. And well, leading into that, though, it makes me think about, you know, we talk about TTI and the company that owns you, Berkshire Hathaway. And if I think of the values when I think of Berkshire Hathaway, very high integrity, a um, lot of good values behind the company. Can you just explain that? Um, about Berkshire Hathaway, what that connection is with TTI, why they decided um, to purchase TTI, how that partnership is going. It's wonderful. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've written a little bit, a couple of articles that I've put together talking about the difference. And in, in the article, I started out writing it uh, in order for an internal release just to let the people uh, of TTI uh, help them understand how great it is to be part of the Berkshire Hathaway organization. Berkshire Hathaway is a publicly traded company, but they're a holding company. They're not an operating company. So Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, obviously, they're, 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 everyone knows their credentials within the business world. They actually go in and they, they own somewhere close to 90 companies that they own outright. Mm-hmm. You will see that they own stock and, and quite a few other publicly traded companies. But the ones that they've bought outright, which TDI is one of those, 
they let us run the company. Matter of fact, Warren's words to Paul was just keep doing what you were doing mm-hmm. before I bought it. And we'll, we'll all be really, really happy because I bought the company not for what you do. I bought the company for the management and the execution that that management team does. So, you know, we talk about Berkshire Hathaway being publicly traded, but we're privately operated. So you don't see us at the end of a quarter trying to hit a number. You don't see us talking to analysts to say, hey, an analyst trying to say, well, what are your inventory turns? How much cash did you generate? You know, we look at those things internally, but we have the luxury of um, managing our business over a longer horizon. You know, wow. Warren, Warren looks at us over a three-year horizon. So as long as we perform well, he, you know, he stays out of our business. And as a matter of fact, I've attempted to ask questions and it's amazing how he turns it around and puts a question always back on us because he says, hey, I don't know anything about your business. Well, he obviously has a substantial amount of trust. And that is critical because it just says so much about your leaders, about you, about the company, the values. Uh, Somebody like Warren Buffett and his team would trust you so much to let you operate. Even when you're coming to him for advice, he's putting it back on you. I mean, that says everything right there. Um, So hats off to you and the organization. I think it's a true testament to who TETI has been up to this point. Um, in the industry and really leads really well into my next question for you because what he said is actually accurate. He doesn't know um, what you do and how you do it because that's one of my questions for you is how during this global pandemic we've had and we've kind of mentioned this before and I said it to Michael Knight when I talked to him earlier, whether it's this pandemic, you know, COVID-19 or it's something else that happens that's unexpected. We don't know what the change is going to be. So in this situation, something hit us unexpectedly and something that really impacted our business, our everyday business. And TTI has risen during this time. So you have people that are working in your factories. You have to have people there. Yet you have salespeople who have to now be remote. Can you please let us know how it was that you're able to navigate the situation? Well, it goes back to Warren and, and Berkshire Hathaway acting as a holding company and not an operating company. You know, the beauty of TTI is that, you know, Paul Andrews, who founded the company, uh, it'll be 50 years next year, mm. is still involved in the business. But we make the decisions and, you know, we've got an ability and a, to make decisions very fast and to implement those very quickly. CTI, if you look over the years, anytime that there is, uh, I'll say, road bumps in the business world, TTI typically comes out ahead. COVID's going to be no different. We felt like we needed to get out early. Obviously, the number one objective was to protect our people. And number two was to protect the customers and their supply chains because we support quite a few essential businesses. So you'll see anybody that manufactures ventilators to testing equipment to defense, uh, you know, all those businesses that were deemed critically essential, we had to continue to operate. And I'm happy to say we've been able to do that. And But it all flows back to our ability to make decisions quickly. And, and that, you know, operating like a privately held company, not having to answer, you know, the board of directors. Yes, there's a board of directors for TTI, but it's, you know, it's Paul and Warren and uh, our CFO. So it's uh, we make those decisions rather quickly. Well, basically what you're describing is agility. So you are an organization that you you're quick on your feet. So 
if something happens, you can make quick decisions and you don't have to go through this long process of implementing some immediate changes that need to take place. So that is great. You know, when we talk about things, I remember us having a conversation about values and weaving it into this conversation as well. But you said something one time that really struck me. And you said that you don't change the internal strategy for outside circumstances. I love that, that you stick to your core. So can you just kind of describe that a little bit more? Yeah, if you look at it, uh, you know, in the distribution world in particular, if you look at the the companies and strategies seem to change, change on a regular basis. I have a strategic framework that's been in place, and it's, yeah, it's tweaked a little bit, but the, the basis of it has not changed at all because, you know, we, we may add to it in some ways. But if you look at this, you know, the work from home, and we mobilized and sent a 1,000 people home within 48 hours to, to continue to do their jobs, and I'm happy to say we didn't lose a beat. Part of that was we were prepared for that and that we were pushing the organization to be able to, I'll say, communicate with customers and internally and, I'll say, interact with customers without having to physically be near them. I presented at a sales leadership conference in front of a, a couple of hundred of our sales leaders earlier this year before COVID, and I had three priorities. I had one that the the virtual aspect of the business that we had to get really, really good at using tools like we're recording this podcast on to where we're all in different mm-hmm. parts of the world because the customers, they don't have the time. Their tendencies and their behaviors are changing. Secondarily is the way that we communicate. You know, when I got in the business, it was the telephone, even pay phones back then, moved to email, and now it's moved more to social media. So we've had a big push going on. That was not a COVID-related action. That was in place, and that, that strategy had started more than two years ago. And if you're active out on LinkedIn, you would know that the TTI organization is extremely active all the way up to me. And, uh, you know, that we feel like that's the, the way that the customer base is going and our supplier base when it comes to communication. And then the third piece of that strategy is the, I'll say, touchless interaction with our customers, mm-hmm. APIs. That's where we believe it's going from a transactional basis. And our business is a high transactional business. So, you know, again, all those things are part of a strategy that nothing's changed. I was on a, a call an hour or so ago related to those topics and us moving forward. And again, nothing related to the crisis we're going through today. Well, I think what it's showing is a progressive mindset. So you set yourself up leading into, you looked and saw what the current world was doing and TTI is adjusting to that. And timing just happened to be very well prepared going into this pandemic. But you mentioned, um, going back to the social media part, yes, you have been extremely active in social media. It's done a great job, by the way. As the leader of TTI, you put out good content. I was talking to Michael Knight before. He does exactly the same thing. That is part of a progressive strategy, right? In our industry that doesn't tend to utilize all the technology we create. You know, you talked about virtual training and you talked about social media. So as far as now that we're talking about progressive strategies, what else is TTI doing to be progressive so that the youth and other people will be more attracted and and, and see a company like TTI and say, oh, yeah, that is a modern company, very progressive. Is there anything else that you're doing or is there anything else you have to offer on that? 
Well, if you, if you go look at it, I mean, I, I think that our industry, you know, I, when I got in in 1984, this industry was considered fast paced, was considered high tech. It's not necessarily considered that anymore. So if you look at the new workforce coming in, those recent graduates that are looking for jobs, you know, they think of Facebook, Google, Cisco or, or a software company being more attractive and more high tech. They look at our business you know, as being a mature business and something that is more service related. I think we have to do a better job of actually presenting our industry. We go out and recruit at local universities. We found by bringing in that talent, we're keeping up more with the trends that are out there. You know, I think that the work environment in our industry, I think we have to become more flexible, work from home, work remotely flex hours. I'll say the benefits piece of it has changed pretty dramatically of what's important from my time until today. We're trying to keep up in in that regard to make the job seem more attractive. But I think a lot of it, I think the industry as a whole, you know, much broader than TTI, we've got to do a much better job of really explaining our industry and I'll say the excitement that should be around it. I still like doing what I do. Think about all the customers that I get to visit that are out there working on the next thing. I can remember coming up and working with one of the first companies who developed motherboards for PCs. When I visited them the first time, they were in two apartments in an apartment complex. They turned into a multi-billion dollar company that was sold. Yeah, but you know, we get those opportunities and that's pretty exciting. What we're seeing today in the, you know, the health industry, this prices, put a lot of attention to where there's a lot of companies out working on things that are going to make this world better. And we're right here on the, on the doorstep. We get to be part of that, which is to me is pretty interesting and pretty exciting. Well, I completely agree with you. I think it's one of, we haven't marketed our industry, I think enough to show the excitement of the end products that end up being developed from all the technology we create. But having said that, this concludes our first part of our series with you, Dawn, and we'd love to talk to you later some more. I have a lot more to talk to you about, but thank you for your time today. We appreciate you being here. Thanks again for having me. You've been listening to another episode of Women in Electronics right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.